0: Thank you for joining the Once Changing the World, which is India's first future tech meets sustainability podcast. And today I'm delighted to have with me Dr. Baribad Jha, who is an astrodynamicist at the University of Texas at Austin. He's a space environmentalist who has previously worked as a spacecraft navigator at the NASA Jet Propulsion Laboratory and currently serves as the Chief Scientist for Privateer Space, a company he co-founded with the Apple Computer Co-Founder, Steve Wozniak to better collect and share space debris tracking data. So, Dr. Really appreciate you taking time being part of the podcast. Why don't we start with a small brief introduction, the background and how you became interested in space sustainability?
1: Yeah, well, you know, um, as an astrodynamicist, it's my job to try to understand and predict how things are moving in space. And uh, at the beginning of my career, I worked for NASA's Jet Propulsion Laboratory. But uh, after about six years, I relocated with my family to the island of Maui uh, in Hawaii. And uh, I got a job with the Air Force Research Laboratory. And there are telescopes on top of Mount Haleakala that detect and are used to track uh, objects orbiting the earth. And uh, back in 2006, when I uh, relocated to Maui, at the time, we were tracking about 26,000 objects, ranging in size from a cell phone to the space station, out of which 1,200 were working satellites providing services and capabilities that we're familiar with, but everything else was garbage. So that was to me, uh, I couldn't believe it. And um, that's when I started becoming interested in this topic.
0: 26,000 objects, you're saying, I mean, just littering around uh, the orbit. We'll get into that. But before we get into that, can you talk about your previous work experience at the NASA Jet Propulsion uh, Laboratory?
1: Yeah. um, My job was as a spacecraft navigator for the interplanet navigation group. Basically, interplanets are, you know, Mars uh, all the way to the sun. So the first four planets of our uh, solar system. And... I mostly worked Mars missions and it was my job to interpret uh, radio signals sent uh, to orbiters and different spacecraft and received back at earth and interpret those signals to understand the environment that the satellite or the spacecraft is in and be able to get the spacecraft uh, to the desired or planned orbit. Much like somebody in the movies uh, when you see movies with submarines and somebody's sitting at one of these sonar stations, they're interpreting acoustic signals to understand the uh, underwater environment, the underwater scape with, you know, underwater sea mountains and other submarines that might be in the vicinity. My job, without actually being able to physically see the spacecraft, is interpreting these photons and reconstructing, what that spacecraft is experiencing and then use that to model how the spacecraft is going to be behaving, what will it experience to basically try to get the spacecraft on its intended uh, flight path. So that was my job.
0: So how how do you do this? Would you like to maybe elaborate on this process, collecting all this data, making sense of this data? How do you do that? What's the process?
1: Basically, you know, the signals that we send, these things are traveling, uh, you know, at the speed of light, kind of in a vacuum, But the the actual photons that we send and receive are um, affected by the the, the spacecraft itself and whatever it is that it's experiencing. And so uh, the the distance away from us and the speed at which the spacecraft is moving and how the spacecraft is oriented, you have different forces affecting the spacecraft. You have the curvature of space-time, so gravity, uh, as as we know it from all the different uh, celestial bodies, but also we have non-gravitational effects like the, the the radiation from the sun on different surfaces on the spacecraft, bouncing off of it and even heating things up and being thermally uh, emitted. Even the photons that are being sent by the antenna itself through Newton's third law of action and reaction, cosmic acceleration. So all these things have to be accounted for Uh, And the signals that we get back are conditioned uh, on these sorts of behaviors. And so it's up to us as spacecraft navigators to be photon interpreters. We receive these photons and based on how long the signal took and the structure, the structure in in the photons when we receive them tells us something about all these different forces and things acting on the spacecraft. And so we interpret that you know, the job of a spacecraft navigator is somewhat like being a detective like Sherlock Holmes because each one of these satellites and spacecraft, they have their own personalities. Even when you see the thing on the ground as it's being built in the clean room, when it gets, uh, you know, mated to the rocket that it's going to be, you know, sent up with. And even when you see the spacecraft and understand all the it's made out of and all these things and you put that into your models the models are not perfect and so the thing is we're always compensating for our imperfections. we're always compensating for our ignorance and the truth is that mother nature affects these things in ways that we can't predict uh exactly and so that's part of the for me that's part of the passion in being a spacecraft navigator is that even though i have this knowledge of orbital mechanics and how these models come together in theory, in practice, given imperfect sensors as well—you um, know, our eyes, ears, and a lot of other stuff—they're not perfect. So these um, these radio dishes uh, have flaws as well; they're not perfect. It's piecing that together and refining our knowledge by embracing our ignorance, uh, and we discover something about this object, and it has a particular way that it behaves. Uh, it's very rewarding for me. That's like. That's awesome. I, that's the thing that I really loved about being a spacecraft navigator at uh, NASA's Jet Propulsion Lab.
0: Lovely, how cool is that? Now, Privateer Space, what is it and what's the mission behind it?
1: So Privateer really was born out of the, I guess the the um, uh, witnessing how the world faces many wicked problems uh global societal level problems. And um, you know, one of the things that has led to these problems not being solved, uh, aside from them being very difficult, is that smart people around the globe don't have easy and uh equitable access to data and information. And uh so privateer really rooted in this belief that all things are interconnected, rooted in this belief that uh, we have to be stewards of Spaceship Earth, uh, not just passengers, but crew, as we like to say, uh, of Spaceship Earth, rooted in the need for bringing in empathy to try to understand and solve these problems, being that the root, and very much inspired by traditional ecological knowledge Ancient tech from indigenous people, um, and how indigenous folks uh, basically understand that in order for them to survive, they have to have a successful conversation with the environment attuning, attunement, rooted in that a platform company that uh, basically invites developers, people to share their data and information, get data and information, fuse. Uh, collect, pull insights out of this, focused on really trying to solve uh, humanity's uh, wicked problems. So that's what Privateer is really about, is trying to use data and information to inform humanity uh, of possible solutions to some of these wicked problems.
0: So, yes, I mean, you mentioned about this wicked problems and you mentioned about equitable access of data, and that is a genuine problem and the world is uh, increasingly being hyper-connected. Uh, what I mean by that is what happens in a certain point of the world, even if it's a remote area, affects the entire world. And I yeah. think we, we, we there is more and more need for us to take responsibility in what we're doing because we we are not just polluting uh our, Earth, but we're also polluting space. Tell me about this. How do we sort this out? What's the way to mitigate this problem? How do we solve this?
1: Yeah, so so look, um, we have technical problems and political problems, but the biggest problem is the lack of empathy. And uh, there's a lack of awareness, really, by most people that this is an issue, or you know why should they care kind of thing. And usually when I show people, when I say, okay, go to privateer.com and you can kind of see all these dots around the globe. People's first reaction is, wow. And then the next thing is, of course, humanity tends to behave this way. And then the next thing is, well, what can I do? And it's not really my problem, right? Like, okay, so we have satellites and we have debris, but who cares? And then when I tell people, well, you know, things like, uh, you know, finding yourself from point A to point B, um, position, navigation, timing, you know, GPS, um, financial transactions, monitoring the earth for not just climate change and disaster relief, but also, I don't know, wars in Ukraine, that sort of stuff. We know, humanity knows more about the planet uh, and itself because of these robots in the sky called satellites than by any other uh, source of information. And these sources are not protected from harm and that pollution, uh, You know, some of these pieces of junk are flying relative to these working satellites they're they're crisscrossing each other at relative speeds of up to 15 times the speed of a bullet that's going to do a lot of damage when collisions happen and we've already seen some of this stuff happen so that is the thing that we're highlighting first for sure as one of the problems is what we've done detrimentally to the environment on land ocean and air now we're doing to space so so
0: so how do we mitigate this problem? How do we solve this? Because yeah, so I, yeah, on... right,
1: right, right. So the mitigation is this, right? Um, the 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 mitigation, which is the prevention of further pollution, uh, comes from looking at how we can uh, first agree that space is an additional ecosystem of Gaia, Mother Earth. So it should be land, air, ocean, and space. That uh, space is a finite resource. And as such uh, is an environment in need of environmental protection. Uh, So that's the first thing. And once we accept that and we accept it's a finite resource, then we can say, how do we manage this holistically? Prevention of pollution should be done through things like developing circular economies that can say, okay, how about if we incentivize companies uh, to design, develop and operate reusable and recyclable rockets and satellites. Um, right now, satellites are single use. Just like single use plastics are not so good, we try to minimize that. We should be minimizing single use satellites. Um, and if we can basically reuse and recycle these things on orbit, then we have to launch less of these things. Um, everybody's just launching as many things as they want. There's no coordination, there's no planning. So. The environment is not being managed holistically. It's everybody does whatever they want kind of thing. So that's gonna lead to a tragedy of the commons. So one way that we could mitigate further the debris is really having a global coordination and planning. Countries coming together and saying, let's do this together. Just like with air traffic and that sort of stuff, right? There's global coordination for air traffic to some extent for maritime and that sort of thing. Um, We should be applying something similar uh, to space and using waste management principles that have been successful on the surface of the Earth and applying those to space.
0: Of what I know, of what I read is that, you know, I mean, the space is going to be flooded with thousands and thousands of satellites in the coming years. So, mm-hmm. in in you know, we have something called Web3. In the Web3, you know, things are decentralized. We're going towards a world which is more open, more shareable. more. Do you see something like that, where rather than flooding these so many data, uh, this thing, would there be uh, a way to kind of, share data through these satellites so it's accessible and aware it's
1: yes absolutely and so that's actually one of the things that we're doing at Privateer is uh we have you know satellites and payloads that are meant to be shared kind of like Uber is a ride sharing concept so having satellites that have different uh sensors and capabilities that people don't have to launch their own could just use this thing and just subscribe to it and say, "Hey, at this time for this part, I want to collect these data. I want to look down on the planet. I want to do this out of the other." That's really what people care about at the end of the day. And so we're we're trying within Privateer, aside from being a platform company, also have you know payloads and 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 uh, you know satellite systems that can be treated as like a rideshare in space absolutely
0: you have somebody like Steve Wozniak you know on, on your side so how are you leveraging technology to create a uh, sustainable uh, space
1: look uh Steve is really awesome I, I don't have I can spend a whole different podcast talking about how awesome Steve is but what Steve and Alex the CEO bring to the table is they've been very successful in um spearheading uh, companies that develop kind of this deep Tech and high-tech, and now marrying it with this ancient tech, the traditional ecological knowledge kind of stuff, that's what we're blending uh within privateer. Absolutely.
0: Lovely. So you're leveraging the past and and, and the current to build uh That's the, the way brother build, build the future lovely lovely how how cool is that uh now i'm sure you must have heard about india's uh, mission to the moon uh, three. uh any views on that and would you like to give any advice to young people who are interested in pursuing a career in space sustainability
1: look um so by the way the other the other company that i have is morbi universal and that's focused on getting the message out and the awareness uh you know me into arts and entertainment um, and spreading this message. And so, first, I would say, you know, for India, India also has indigenous populations and um, a practice practice of living harmoniously with the environment. Uh, I would say that India should definitely look towards those people and take those principles and apply that towards space exploration. India could uh, be leaders in space environmentalism and sustainability if India decides uh, to do those sorts of things, which I'm hoping the answer is yes uh, to that. And we only have this, this is our only home, we need to actually have homes, other places, not just in the solar system, but across the universe. And the homes that we try to have, aside from spaceship Earth, we can't we can't be successful if we're going to just transport uh the worst parts of humanity and our viral nature so this is the, the idea is to re- embrace our intergenerational contract of stewardship and you know over ownership and say let's claim responsibility uh over the environment let's claim responsibility over life and even approach life with the notion that existence in and of itself is sacred you know one of the things that I love about India is you know when I was younger I used to practice Agnihotra with my mom and you know singing uh different mantras the Gayatri mantra the, the Mula mantra and that sort of stuff and um uh you know I this idea of sacredness that I love about India uh is something that should be, in my opinion, exemplified in India's space agency research activities and exploration. So I think uh, we could, I think India could achieve that. So that's my, that's my message to to the youth about that.
0: I'm just going to digress a bit. Uh, so recently, a family in Las Vegas claimed that an alien spacecraft crash landed in their back backyard. What are your views on UFOs?
1: We definitely aren't the only ones in the universe, man. Because the thing is, Mother Nature, from all my accounts as a scientist and engineer, I've never seen Mother Nature do one thing and that's it. Like, the key to life and existence is repeatability. It's simple things that repeat themselves over and over again. And the simple things that repeat themselves over and over again, the emergent behavior of those things amounts to complexity, beauty, and uh, dare I say magic and so the fact that we exist here to me is proof that there's you know other sources of life across the universe absolutely so I mean I don't know the veracity of what landed here there or the other but this is just this... we're clearly not alone in the universe so.
0: right Apollo 11 1969 the first human landing on the moon 1969 now we are in 2023 Three, why haven't you been able to land back on, on the moon?
1: I don't think it's a matter of ability. I just think it's a matter of desire and will. Um, at the end of the day, people that get elected get elected by people. And so what do the people want? It's after we did the whole lunar landing because it was geopolitically driven. I think the American population said, yep, we've done that. Now what? Like, what, why? Why is it important to go to the moon? It's not like there was a, a big scientific interest from you know the American population during the Apollo era. It was all this competition, you know, China, Soviet Union, blah blah blah. So, if we want to explore because we actually feel it's necessary to extend humanity's exploration date as a species and things like that, the motivation has to be different in getting back there. So, I think it's less of ability to do it and more of the will. When humans will to do something, we do it. Like humans have achieved. Look at the pyramids, man. I mean, we can't even replicate that stuff. And that, you know, we can't replicate that with stuff today. Like humans can achieve really great and awesome things when we come together uh, for a common purpose. So.
0: Right. Dr. Really, really appreciate you taking time being part of the podcast. Now my last question to you, what comes next for you? What comes next for humanity also because you know we 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 you know there are people who are saying we we are in the Oppenheimer moment of sorts you know because there is the AI existential threat there's a climate crisis the biotech which is accelerating man-made viruses so on and so forth you know what what's what comes next for you uh, privateer space and the future of humanity?
1: Look uh, for me the, the the best way to recruit empathy towards these problems is for people to recognize that The problems are their own. And when people realize that, you know, independence is not a real thing, that everything is interconnected, people are more reluctant to say, I don't care, right? Um, And so for me, I think what's next is the only way for us to really see the evidence of this interconnectedness is with the help of machines. So for me, this is where AI comes into play, is AI can help us actually see the evidence of this interconnectedness so that we can be more reluctant to say it's not my problem and embrace that as our own. So to me, that's really uh, where we head next.
0: Thank you, Dr. Really, really appreciate you taking time and being part of the podcast. Wish you the very best for private space. And I hope that, you know, we don't keep on doing what we're doing because here in earth, the only known home we, we consume, pollute without any conservation. And we've taken the same model space. I hope that we kind of change and, you know, get into space and sustainability. So thank you. Really appreciate you taking time, being part of the podcast. Keep on doing your good work get to my listeners. If you like what you see in here, please press the subscribe button. Until next time, see you guys. Bye-bye. Thank you. Thank you. Really appreciate this.
1: Na- Namaskar.